Hello, you lovely listener, you. It is I, Jackie, flying solo today. We're going to miss Jen for this interview, so make sure you shoot us an email at ragingromantics at nopal.org so that you can let her know just how much you miss her lovely voice and her amazing inside look at everything we talk about. I do have the pleasure today, though, of introducing a special guest star, Emma Denny, who is going to be talking to us about her debut novel and every Everything we love about gay medieval romance. So if that sounds like a treat to you, go ahead, grab a cup of tea, grab a cuddly blanket and curl up and let's get raging. Hey there, romance nerds. I'm Jen. And I'm Jackie. We're two librarians from Nopal in upstate New York, and you're listening to Raging Romantics. In this podcast, we like to think a little too deeply about romance books. If you're into theory, history and raging about romance landia, then you should stick around. Please be advised that some of the things we talk about may not be suitable for younger listeners. Content warnings for episodes are available in the show notes. Jen, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Let's rage! Hello, romance nerds. Welcome back to Raging Romantics. It is just I, Jackie, today. Jen is out on the pop-up truck dealing with children at library events so godspeed to her but i have a special guest with me today emma will you please introduce yourself hi uh, i'm emma denny i am a british debut romance writer and uh, my first book one night in hartswood is out now in the uk and it's coming out in america on the 7th of november yeah. <laughs> sorry had a moment of blankness there. What is time? I have no idea. Oh, absolutely. Since since 2019, <laughs> I've existed in my own little time bubble. All a blur. Um, and so where in the UK are you based? Uh, I'm near-ish London. I okay. find that's the best way to describe it. Um, little, little town slash city, not very exciting, but London is like the nearest landmark. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I am from... I say Syracuse area, which if you're looking at a map of New York state, it's like smack dab in New York state. But in reality, I'm from a small farming town, like 30 minutes south of Syracuse. So I just always say Syracuse. It's the easiest thing. Yeah. If you say, oh yeah, I come from Milton Keynes, people aren't going to know what that is unless you're from England and in a very specific part of England. And then you laugh. So... Or if you're on uh, YouTube and you follow very niche British YouTubers who happen to Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. Well, you mentioned you're an author and your book, One Night in Hartswood. Can you please tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, So the the briefest rundown possible of One Night in Hartswood is that it's a queer medieval romance about why running away with a mysterious guy the night before your arranged marriage is a really bad idea. Oh, I was going to say it's the best idea, but okay, sure. Well, (laughs) it it would be, maybe it'd be a good idea if it didn't turn out he was the brother of the woman you were supposed to be marrying. That makes it a little bit more complicated. Complication. (laughs) (laughs) Just a minor complication, it's fine. Yes. Um, so it's about Raph and Penn. Penn is the son of an earl who wants to get him married off to get him out of the way, mostly. Um, Penn has absolutely no desire at all to be married, not least of all because he's super gay. Um, <laughs> and in a fit of madness, runs away and recruit, recruits the help of Raph, who he assumes is just a tracker or a hunter to help him find a new life. Uh, But the further they go together, the more they realize that actually they don't particularly want to have to part as they inevitably will, um, which of course leads to all sorts of 
angst and drama. Yes. Oh, parting is such sweet sorrow. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and where, um, where did you get your inspiration for writing this book? Um, I think, honestly, a lot of it is being long term obsessed with sort of high fantasy media set in sort of pseudo medieval medieval England settings, things like Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, The Witcher, even to a certain extent, things like D&D. &D. Yes. Um, I've always loved the more day to day aspects of that sort of media rather than necessarily the high fantasy aspects. I like the things like knights and sword fights and daggers and sleeping in the woods and the intrigue and castles and things like that. So that's kind of where the setting really came from. And then the kind of the obsession with things like, oh, they sleep outside a lot. And also there's fighting with daggers kind of became, well, this is obviously then medieval England. Um, so yeah, I kind of came about it in a weird sort of angle. Okay. What class in D&D &D are you? <laughs> I don't actually know. I'm very bad at D&D. &D in practice. Um, I, I feel like it's one of those things, especially as a writer, people are like, oh, you must be so imaginative, but the stress of it really gets me. And I'm there like, uh, I don't know what I do. Um, I think the last one I played, I was a half orc cleric or paladin, I think. Um, but generally I just will pick a kind of at random whatever's the funniest to me at the time, <laughs> whatever I think will make the most interesting character. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Whatever fits the storyline in your mood best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I feel like is definitely an author being in D&D because &D, we're like, we're just going to write this character just for this setting because I want yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I wanted to have, I think she was, her god was, whose name I've now completely forgotten, was like the god of uh, humor and jokes. And I wanted her thing to be that she tells really bad jokes and everybody laughs because she's a half orc, so they're kind of terrified of her. And they're like, everyone's like, ha ha, that was such a good joke. And they're not, they're terrible. And she doesn't really get this. And that was kind of, so it started with that rather than me thinking, okay, no, I'm going to be this for sensible gaming reasons. Yeah. So here's actually a funny little aside is that Jen and I normally start our episodes with bad jokes. <laughs> I'm known for my very bad jokes because I have no funny bone in my body at all. Can you tell us a bad joke? I put you on the spot. Oh, you are putting me on the spot. I don't know. I feel like all my jokes are bad, but they're also very context specific. I don't know. I don't know any That's bad okay. jokes. Here, wait. I'll I'll I told my seven-year-old nephew and he got a kick out of it. Okay. So what is the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? I don't know. One you'll see later and one you'll see in a while. See you later, <laughs> alligator in a while, crocodile. That's adorable. My seven-year-old nephew thought so as well, so. All good. <laughs> um, One Night in Heartswood, as you told us to kind of shift back into things, is a gay medieval romance about mistaken identity. Mistaken identity, I feel like, is such a romance specific like thing. And it's always so fun. When you sat down to write the story, where you like mistaken identity, you have to write this. Yeah, it was more... So the first idea I had was of a guy who runs away from his arranged marriage, meets someone in the woods, and there's this connection and they get on really well. And in this, in the first sort of ideas, I was still vaguely considering it might still be fantasy. So in this version, he could be getting married to a guy and he just doesn't know who this person is. Um, 
And I like the idea that they meet in the woods, they have a little bit of a thing, um, and then they have to go back to their respective camps. And then, oh, in the morning, it turns out that this is the guy he was supposed to be getting married to. Um, but when I changed it to the actual medieval historical accuracy and such, I wanted to keep the idea that this these two people are connected, but they just don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the most the intriguing part, um, especially at the start, because you know that Raph is going with his sister to his wedding and you know that Penn is waiting to get married. But these two are the point of view characters. So you're like, oh, oh, I know what's going to happen here because I'm a romance reader. But these guys have no idea. And that I love. A little bit of dramatic irony makes yeah. it. Yeah. Adds that tension that all romance readers love. Did you... So you originally set out and you originally kind of conceptualized it as fantasy. And I apologize, I'm going off script here. So just yell at me if you want me to stop. Um, You originally started out as fantasy and then you made that shift into medieval, quote unquote, like accurate history. Although we all know like it's a romance novel, it's fictionalized. Um, Was there a specific uh, impetus behind that switch? Um, Honestly, not really. I just thought for ease... I thought it would be better just to keep it historically accurate. I also thought for the kind of context of what I was writing for, that it would be probably more like genre aware mm-hmm. uh, for the markets I was aiming for. And I think, and I think that it was mostly the fact that I thought it would be easier for myself because I didn't want the extra of having to come up with this convoluted fantasy world, which I, I struggle with world building. I'm quite, a lot of my books are very, not insular, but it's very close and it's very much about the people and what they're doing and the rest of the outside world doesn't necessarily touch it that much. And that's very, very much the case in Hartswood. Most of it is just them. And so I didn't want to have to overcomplicate things, um, which turned out to be inaccurate because the amount of research that went into making it at least passably accurate was ridiculous. So I've kind of written myself into this medieval corner now. <laughs> Do you think you'll go back to fantasy at any point in future? Um, maybe. Never say never. Um, I've got my all my upcoming products are all medieval, kind of standard medieval. I've got something in the works which I'm dabbling with, which is also medieval, despite saying I'm not going to do it again. <laughs> and then after that, I'm thinking of going into Regency okay. or Edwardian. Um, so probably not unless something really grabs me. Gotcha. Sticking with that historical, which is of course so huge with romance. Yeah. Yeah. I just love it. (laughs) I can't get away from it. It's got its claws in me now. Aside from like the fantasy aspect, do you have any other background with medieval history? Um, not really. I've got an interest in it, which has only gotten more since writing um, become vaguely obsessed with medieval weaponry um and at university i did a module on old english okay uh, so i actually learned how to read old english i used to be not fluent but i could translate it passably well um and i read a lot of the old like the old romances and the old medieval texts and that kind of was one of those things that you study the first year of uni you kind of forget about it and then as I was doing this, and then some of the consecutive things, especially, you realize how relevant all of this stuff is. And like, oh, I need to get all of this back because this is actually so relevant to what I'm doing now. Yes. So some, but not a lot. That's all good. Do you have a favorite time period when it comes to medieval? Oh, I mean, not really. I, I will fully admit that I just kind of chose the date 
at random. I remember sitting down and this was one so long ago and two during the middle of COVID and everything. So it's all a bit of a blur, but I remember sitting down for at least like four days going through all these historical sources, trying to find a date that fit for everything that I wanted. So it wouldn't be right in the middle of the plague and there wouldn't be right in the middle of a war, but there had been a war previously, but also there would still be tensions between England and Scotland. And I kind of landed on 1360. And despite spending like a week researching, I now cannot for the life of me remember why 1360 even, but now here we are. And now I'm kind of <laughs> just plodding along in this era. Yeah. Yeah. As somebody who is also dabbled in historical fiction or like kind of between contemporary and historical, I understand you get stuck on that one date and you're like, this is the perfect date. And then you're like, I don't know why, but now I'm stuck and now I have to make everything fit around this date too. Yeah. I found so many things like that. Like what, like things like names as well. I spent a long time researching names and a couple, most of them I've picked out from genuine historical sources. So they're all by and large kind of fairly accurate um and then some for like place names i made up and i remember i sat down for ages naming the castle that raf lives in trying to figure out combining different old english words to make something that would make sense mm -hmm. um and then some things i completely forgot like i forgot that i had somewhat pilfered raf's surname which is barden from a castle up north until we went to go visit and we approached this castle and i'm like this seems really familiar. And I read the sign and I'm like, oh, that's why it's familiar as this place. Just like, back. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten until I saw it. And I was like, oh yeah, I did steal his name from here. Whoops. <laughs> that's where that came from. Good to know. So, I mean, you kind of answered this already, but 14th century England, was it just kind of like a fluke that you, I, I say stumbled upon, like it was accidental, but it was just the, it was the date that you got stuck on. Yeah, very much so. It was kind of, there wasn't really much uh, purpose in it other than just something that fit. And I felt like it needed to have a date at the start yeah. <laughs> of the book. So you have it and you open it and it's 1360. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't like a lot of thought went into it, but not, it wasn't like a decision I'd already made. Yeah. Well, what kind of research did you do to give it that medieval flair after it moved out of the fantasy realm? Um, an awful lot of stuff like the little things, the things that would impact, like there's, I don't particularly focus on the big societal things like kings and rulers and religion. I very much kind of dodged around because no, the plague, like I said, not doesn't turn up because again, I wrote it during COVID and I was like, absolutely not um so a lot of it is really specific things like food um hospitality with other people traveling on the road clothes i've had it i i initially kind of went in a little bit too hard with the historically <laughs> accurate clothing which i then had to walk back a little bit partly because it's no one really knows like a casual reader doesn't understand what a gipon is <laughs> and, and when the gipon comes off they're going to be like are we excited about this? Is this a good thing? Is, should, should, is, this, is this good? And also, you don't want to have to people like Googling things halfway through reading, but also they're very deeply unsexy. <laughs> so this way I've left it a little more vague. Uh, so kind of, I know that it was supposed to be accurate, but readers can kind of fill in hmm. as they go with the sort of like the pseudo fantasy medieval-ish yeah. <laughs> clothes as you would imagine them 
rather than things that were actually real. So a lot of that sort of thing, like, what is it made of? A lot of people wearing leather. And then I was like, wait, no, they wouldn't be wearing that much leather. Get rid of it. <laughs> and that's kind of more, the more I've kind of progressed into the, the next book, that's even more a lot of kind of little medieval tidbits as opposed to grand medieval society. Okay. Um, now you've mentioned a couple times that you were writing this in during COVID, during you know the height of COVID. And of course, we're still in it, but like that 2020, 2021 timeframe. Um, did, how did that influence your writing this book? I think it, it kind of gave me a lot of room to fixate, mm -hmm. I think was the main thing. So I'd been in a, a fandom at the start of the pandemic which had kind of taken over my whole brain. Um, and then moving into this, I kind of, it, it, I had a lot of time. There wasn't anywhere to go. There wasn't anything to do and everything felt kind of terrible. So this really just, I just kind of dove in and it took me over and I became obsessed and I'm still obsessed, absolutely madly obsessed with my boys. Um, and so it was, I think that was the biggest thing is that because I could dedicate so much time to it, it really just, became the thing I cared about the most mm -hmm. and then the aspects of like the escapism and the the gentleness and I think probably to a certain extent the fact that it is quite isolated that most of it's just two people is also probably a, a, a thing to do with COVID in like a subconscious way. Mm -hmm. I love that term gentleness especially when it comes to romance because so often of course we talk about like the escapism of romance and you know how it's like purely this escapist genre, but I really like the idea of gentleness um, in the sense that it's almost like cozy mysteries where you know there's that HEA or happily ever after for now guaranteed at the end of the story. So whatever angst they're feeling, it's at the same time, you know, it's going to come with a place of love, if that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's like this gentle kind of warm hug feeling. And even though bad things happen to them, you know it's going to be all right in the end. I think this is why stuff like Hurt Comfort is so um, is so popular is because so often in real life you get hurt, but you don't get comfort. You just get hurt. Right. Or the comfort is minimal. So it's that kind of, that, that sense of care and gentleness and love, I think, is really important in romance. I think it makes it that kind of softness which even if the story itself is quite angsty, often with like traditional romance, it is very reliable. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, well, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And it still gives you a chance to kind of not play, in, but like to play in the sandbox of working through these things. Like your book, Heartswood deals a lot with like abuse and mental health and family and toxicity, toxic parents and all that. But it's still that, you know, it's going to have that happily ever after. So you can kind of trust the author a little bit, maybe. Yeah, it's that knowing that it's going to be okay. And mm -hmm. that's quite reassuring, I find, even though terrible things happen, and even though terrible things have happened in the past, yeah. you kind of come with this guarantee that it's going to be not resolved. Because mm -hmm. I think big ish big things like trauma doesn't get resolved in the course of a single book it's not like that but there will be kind of the beginning of a path to healing I mm -hmm. think yeah um 
talking a little bit about the characters and the trauma that they go through in the book, they go through some heavy stuff. Um, you know, like I was just saying, there's past abuse and the mental health and all that sort of stuff. So when you were in the process of writing your book, because it does deal with such heavy things, did you have a sensitivity reader or anything like that? Um, I didn't. Um, I had a couple of friends look over it for me um, who kind of looked at it more broadly, um, but I didn't have a, like a specific sensitivity reader going in. Um, it's something I'd definitely consider in the future, um, especially with some of my other characters that are kind of upcoming. I think I would consider it, but there was a few kind of, we had some discussions about it, especially with Penn and his scars. We had a lot of discussions about um, how to deal with that and I had I've got a couple of friends who have like backgrounds in psychology and things and we spoke about the side of reaction and how Raph reacts and kind of how that all informs everything so we did have a lot I had like a lot of discussions about it and then some of it was more just uh not from my own experiences but some was like you know the understanding of feeling anxious and depressed and things like that which I think are kind of more yeah, something I've, I, yeah. Feel, I feel a little bit more qualified to write about. <laughs> Especially in the time frame that you were writing this, I can only imagine. Yeah, and like Raph um, in the first draft especially was extremely socially anxious. Um, he still is, bless him, but it's not quite as much as it was. Yeah. Um, and that was very much based on my own experiences of feeling like completely exhausted and coming out of the first round of lockdowns and suddenly being completely unable to function in public mm -hmm. um and just being exhausted just by like going to tesco's that sort of which is a supermarket chain <laughs> that sort of thing um so yeah there was a lot of kind of little things like that influenced it quite a lot yeah so in the, in the story, of course, you were talking about how you wanted it to just be the two of them. And of course, as a romance reader, it's so much fun when it's just the two of them. Um, and this is me being a total medieval literature nerd. My first degree is actually in medieval history. Um, and journeying and questing is such a huge thing when it comes to medieval literature. Um, like, you know, Chaucer, his Pilgrim's Tales were all like they were telling stories while they were on a pilgrimage. Was there anything from like medieval literature that inspired you to write like this quest, this journey? Um, honestly, not really. I think it was just, I liked the imagery. I liked the idea of them on their own mm -hmm. doing this kind of sort of semi-perilous journey, the kind of the journey together through the frosts and the snows, I think was what really kind of inspired it. I wouldn't say I had anything specific in mind, but just kind of, it just, suited them so yeah. well plus instead of the one bed trope uh you get to write the canoodling around a fire for warmth which is always yeah. fun to write it's so much fun <laughs> and it's fun to read too let me tell you that happened and i was like oh it's happening okay it's happening. <laughs> i love yeah, that I love those bits. it's so much fun <laughs> um so in your book, and of course, any writer and any really good writer is really able to balance these heavier aspects like we talked about with these lighter aspects like canoodling on around the campfire. Um, when you were writing and as you went through your drafting and editing process, was it um, hard for you to find a way to kind of balance these two things out? Um, I don't know, really. I think a lot of it kind of came from the characters themselves. Um, there was so much of it after a certain extent 
and after writing so much about them they were just kind of stuck in my head and a lot felt like natural character choices for them mm. um and i think especially with like pen especially is very he's got this awful trauma from his dad but he's very determined not to be affected by it which kind of informs a lot of the sort of things he does he's very flippant and very uh risky <laughs> he doesn't really think about things he doesn't think things through because he doesn't really consider the idea of having a future anyway um so a lot of it kind of came through that sort of thing like he's not necessarily sitting down and thinking through things he's just doing things mm -hmm. um and with Raph, especially, he's very gentle. He's kind of, I like, he, I've got this impression of him as like, he looks like he could be kind of big and scary wild man hunter guy, but he's just a big soft marshmallow. Um, cinnamon roll. Yeah, he just wants to protect and okay. be nice and be there and help. And I think that, you know, paired together, they've kind of balanced each other out really well in a way which meant I wasn't necessarily thinking about it too much like there were some parts where obviously i had to kind of figure out where the balance hung in the scene there's a bit just just before the third act where that was particularly important to kind of have the balance of the softness and the love and the romance but also dealing with pen's trauma in a more in a realistic way mm. um but generally it was very much informed by them did you have a favorite part to write when you were writing it Yes. Uh, how spoilery can I be? You can be as spoilery as you want. I'll put a little notice. Spoilers here. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a bit right near the end where Raph gets shot. Mm -hmm. And that bit was my favorite bit to write. It was like uh, the most cinematic, I think, moment. Because yeah. you could just see it happening. It was that moment where it's kind of, it all time slows down and that's it. That I really enjoyed writing. But I love writing the kind of I love hurt comfort and writing angst when it's not necessarily the person being hurt it's ne it's someone reacting to someone else being hurt mm. I find really fun to write and that was yeah that that bit I when I wanted to make sure that hit hard yeah because obviously you know we know it's a romance we know it's going to be all right but the reader just like Penn assumes that Raph is dead so that was important that that came across really kind of inescapably yeah. And as a reader, I will say, I did not expect that coming. I did not see that scene coming at all. So it happened. I was like, <gasps> I literally gasped. I was like, oh God, I can't finish that. I have to, I have to keep going. Yeah. So I, yeah. Poor Raph. <laughs> and that was, I had that planned since the very start. Um, mm -hmm. The scene where Penn comes to find him afterwards and get him out is the first scene I wrote. Oh, okay um so yeah it was very much like from the get-go and the method of how he has got shot changed a few times okay um but it was consistent he always got horribly wounded he's in the background going dang it emma stop shooting me with things <laughs> yeah for the third time stop it <laughs> there's a book series it's a library of the unwritten and it's about um, basically there's a library in hell where authors unwritten manuscripts go to, um, and the characters can come to life and they can escape. And there's a librarian who has to like guard the manuscripts. So we can envision a little raft in the library there being like, I just got shot again. <laughs> yeah, I, I would feel bad for him, but it's just such delicious angst that I can't, I just, it's great. Yeah. Um, I was kind of editing. The ending was a bit too dramatic the first time around. It was very 
it didn't quite fit in with the rest. And then when I had the moment of the thought of, and this was literally after I, within two days of me submitting the first draft to my editor, I had the thought of, but what if this person shoots him instead? (laughs) And it changed everything for the better. And I was like, mad about it and I was waiting for so long and I she emailed me back I was like I'm not sure about the ending I was like well thank good I'm glad you said that because I want to change the ending entirely <laughs> he still gets shot but it's by someone else now perfect excellent happy uh happy circumstance then with that one yeah very much so kind of moving on towards your journey as an author then um, how did this book come about to be published I hear that there was a Twitter contest involved yeah so i've had a couple of people ask you know you know how do you get published what do you do and i find i'm in a really unique position um and my advice should never be followed kind of thing because i uh basically there was a competition with mills and boone who are a publisher in the uk they're an imprint of harper collins um and mills and boone in the uk are very famous for their romance novels Mm -hmm. it's very much culturally the sort of thing that when you were younger, you might steal from your mum and read in secret because yeah. they have sex in. Yeah. Um, and so they had a competition with the Romance Novelist Association called Romance Includes Everyone looking for new queer writers and queer characters. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. I can't do it. And my very dear friend who helped me endlessly through editing, um, she was like, you're just hyping yourself up just go do it you'll you'll regret it if you don't and so the competition itself was tweeting at them in two tweets the pitch for the book and if they liked it you sent them the first power the first um chapter and then if they liked that you sent them the full manuscript so i did that i got the like i sent them the first chapter they wanted the rest which at that stage was not finished um q the madness of getting it finished um and i sent that off and i won and it was yeah it was great i uh, got the email and i was <laughs> shouting so loud my housemate came running down the stairs i think she <laughs> thought i was being murdered um, and then from there it's kind of just exploded so the competition itself was for an ebook originally um that was like the the competition prize but since then, it's done hardback, paperback, and ebook. Uh, the paperback's coming out in September in the UK. Um, it's got an audiobook, which is amazing. I love it so much. The guys who are Raf, there's two narrators, Raf and Penn, Perfect. and they are just wonderful. And they're lovely blokes as well. It, wow. It's an honor to get to listen to them. Um, and then, of course, it's now coming over to the States. And it's in Australia and Canada as well. And it's just, it's way more than I ever anticipated. It must just seem crazy, like a fever dream. It is. It really is. I I think, you know, it's been so long since I actually won the competition. It still doesn't quite feel real. I don't think it ever will. Like I go into shops and see my book and I'm like, this is weird. (laughs) This doesn't feel right. Um, But this means that I, unlike pretty much every other author out there i haven't been in the trenches i haven't been querying like my my plan such that it such that it existed was just kind of see what happens and if i didn't win this competition which i assumed i absolutely wouldn't i was like i'll tweak it i'll take on their feedback and then i'll query it and get an agent in traditional way um but of course 
having won, it became a non-issue because obviously the main thing for an agent is to find a contract. And I was like, well, <laughs> go on now. Um, so yeah, so I never did the querying. I never did the weeks and weeks of sending out emails and getting rejections. So I've kind of come at it a really weird way. Yeah. The big thing is keep an eye out for opportunities because there's probably some out there. Yeah, there's Pit Mad on Twitter, I think, still every year, at least here in the States. I'm not sure if it's international. Um, I think. Is it? Um, yeah. There used to be Pitch Wars, which has now unfortunately gone defunct. Um, and there's so many other things, too. Um, but you you got to uh, you got to live the dream of all wannabe authors out there. Not to say you had it easy. Not at all. Yeah, no, no, it is. I, I completely agree that it is. I've gone about it a weird way, which does completely jump over an awful lot of the the hardest bit of publishing mm. and the worst bit I find because the rejection is horrible um so I think I am really really lucky in that sense um and I am you know extremely thrilled that they took a chance on me because you know debut they had no idea what to expect and they've really kind of put their faith in me by going full run with like a hardback and stuff instead of just an ebook so i uh, kind of can't quite believe how lucky i am really well to completely brown nose for a minute it's an amazing book and you deserve accolades because i love this book with my whole heart honestly the cover is what got me at first the british cover is absolutely gorgeous purple is one of my favorite colors of my purple water bottle oh, very nice. um, and it's almost like a shadow box the british mm. cover, and it's just gorgeous i love it, it beautiful see now you've said that i'm like oh i could make a shadow box of it yes you could oh, I mean, really cool idea but i'm not that talented sadly <laughs> um, and then the american cover is still just as gorgeous it's in the animated cover trend so it's got the two fellows hugging yeah. them and it's just it's still cute it's still pretty it's really sweet i um actually received my proof of it this morning oh look at it oh it's so cool and i am like um, it's like it's them it's not quite them but it's them on the cover of a book and I kind of the difference between them is really startling like just the difference between the UK and the US market is so much um but I do I really I what I really like about the US cover is how immediately gay it is it's yeah. so quick it's <laughs> yeah. not like you wouldn't think it's anything other than a queer love story which is amazing like when I first wanted to start getting published, when I was thinking about it, I was really worried that there would be no room for me in traditional publishing, especially of queer medieval romance. I was like, there's no way. And now the fact that like it's coming out in like the biggest market with this cover where you it's like you it's undeniable. It's it is amazing. And I feel like it's for me, obviously, I'm like, ah, but it's it's a sign of like progress. Yes. Which I really like. Yeah. We just talked about, so for the uh, ooh, however many anniversary of Stonewall that just happened um, for Pride Month, we did a whole, a whole episode on, you know, what Stonewall was and queer publishing here in the United States and queer romance landia. Um, and of course, I can talk about the United States market better than I can talk about the British market because I don't live over there anymore, obviously. Um, so for me to see not only a queer book come out, which we've had such a growth in the market over the past couple of years, really since like 2020 and really since Red, White and Royal Blue, it's just kind of exploded. But now to see Medieval, which is my favorite 
historical time period and we don't really see anymore has just been so exciting. And I really hope that it kind of kicks off a trend. I would like to see that. Absolutely. Like when back in January, when it came out in the UK, I was saying to so many people, I was like, I keep looking and I can't find any others. Mm -hmm. All I can find is Hartswood. And I, you know, I've done so much. And obviously there are some out there. I just am bad at Googling. Uh, I read one years ago. And I, it, it was all right. Yeah. Um, and then the epilogue, everyone died. And I was like, oh no. Not a romance. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then since Hartswood came out, at least in the UK, we've had Solomon's Crown, yes. which I loved. Oh, I, so it. I knew I was going to like it. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was really fantastic. It was the, I just, oh, I loved them. And then we've had uh, Gwen and Art are not in love, which I don't know is out there yet. It Wait. came, that's the YA one, right? Yeah. Yes, I think it came out last month or the month before. I have. And, oh, very good. Yeah, okay. It's really good. Arthur is just the best. He's great. I loved him. Um, but it is, it's so nice to see, it's not, it, there's more. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. And I think there's so much to be done with it. Just because, you know, I love, swords and fighting and knights and knights like why have we got hundreds of books about lesbian knights please that's all i want oh my in my God. life he's still my heart that would be amazing yes <laughs> i mean that's that's what book two is about um so yeah i'm like that's all i want please can you make this happen i love that so much we're going to talk about jen and i are going to talk about in our first episode in august about um romance or sorry medieval bodice rippers um because i feel like during the bodice ripper era and during like the paperback area of early romance it was such a thing to have the medieval you know the knights the swooning ladies the norman conqueror and all this sort of stuff um and i think i am not exaggerating exaggerating when i say you pretty much never saw a gay medieval bodice ripper maybe like an erotica or something like that and I wondered if you had any input or any thought as to why medieval kind of fell out of fashion with romance. Because like you just said, we don't really see it in traditionally published romance much until now. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of kind of cut a bit from a weird direction because being part of Mills and Boone, Mills and Boone publishes a lot of yeah. medieval historical romance. There's a lot of medieval Vikings, Scottish Highlanders, warriors, this whole, the whole shebang. Yeah. Um, so I see quite a lot of it go past because it's like, Ah, more more nights, wonderful. Um, but it is, it does feel like it's kind of fallen out of favour, and it's not something you see very often in traditional like trade publishing. Um, you, I tend to see, and this is an issue I've actually run into with Hartswood, is that people are now looking for like medieval litvic. Mm. Um, so there's an awful lot of very highbrow literature about medieval era. And, you know, sometimes there's some characters in the background who kiss, but it's mostly about the medieval times. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of people read Hartswood and I think expecting this. And I'm like, no, it's not a historical literature book. It's a book about snogging. <laughs> it's two boys <laughs> kissing in the woods. <laughs> yeah. um, so we've had a couple of reviews of people being like, it's not historical enough. It's not accurate. It's not even got the king in. And I'm like, but it's not about the king. It's about snogging. Yes. Um, and I think there's I think there's this step where people are kind of moving away from medieval literature because it feels quite stuffy. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have, and this is true of all 
past eras, apart from Regency, which everyone loves, is that there's this sense that people in the past were so completely different to us that it's impossible to project onto them and it's impossible to kind of feel their stories. And that's just so fundamentally wrong. Like, yeah. my favourite thing about history is that people, by and large, have always been people. Yeah. Like, people in medieval times fell in love and they had little silly in-jokes with each other and they had cats that they loved and who would stamp all over their manuscripts. And it's these sorts of things I think people don't necessarily engage with. Yeah. So the idea of having not the really chunky medieval literature, people don't necessarily think it's even a thing. Yeah. Whereas I'm like, you know, I love it. Like, I love weird history. I've got a tattoo on my leg of a chicken wearing trousers which is from a manuscript from the 1700s. Just a teenager got bored writing down the math to like count his grains and he drew a chicken in trousers. And I'm like, that's great. I love yeah. this. And it's that sort of thing. People think that medieval times especially was just all like dirt and sadness. And it wasn't. No. It's, yeah, people were eating and fighting and kissing and sleeping and doing all the things we do today. They just had no cell phones, you know, and yeah. didn't know that North America existed. At least the people outside of North America didn't know that it existed. Um, like, and a lot of a lot of medieval history is very weird as well. Like people had a lot of strange superstitions and strange medicines and they had little rituals and stuff. And it's that sort of thing which people kind of just ignore I think they either imagine like Shakespeare plays where everyone speaks in in a words they can't understand yeah. and is too posh or they think of like the background peasants in Game of Thrones and like this is it yeah you know that's an interesting discussion in itself of how so when you look at fantasy as like a genre, there is this kind of paradigm of the medieval Europe paradigm as being what fantasy, a lot of fantasy is written. Of course, in the past like five or so years, we've seen it kind of break out with um, oh, like the Rose and the Dawn, I think of the Rose and the Dagger, or like Middle Eastern inspired and, you know, African inspired and all that. But with this European centric fantasy, it kind of breaks out of that almost highbrow mold that you would expect for the medieval genre in itself. And then you have romance, which is coming at it from a completely different angle. Um, and to kind of expound, when you think of Regency, Jen and I have talked on this on the podcast before, is it's almost like a sandbox that you can play in and you can kind of create your world that you want, but you're still in the Regency sandbox. So you still expect Dukes and Viscounts and like Pistols at Dawn and all that. And then you have... I guess the sandbox of fantasy where it's this medieval paradigm you have medieval literature which is you know highbrow and um academia and all this and then you have medieval romance which i think the way you were kind of talking it's getting its own kind of sandbox now with a couple the couple examples we have in it um what kind of things do you think the genre is going to be known for the medieval romance is going to be known for I mean, it's hard to say because obviously there's a lot of, there is a lot of uh, the kind of traditional Mills and Boone stuff, which is um, category romance, which is very traditional. Mm -hmm. And then we have the more trade stuff, which tends to be, and this is the thing, I don't know if this is me because this is what I read, but a lot of it is queer. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know if this is because this is the, I tend to only read queer romances or if the, 
the only medieval romances are also queer romances. So it is kind of, it's a weird kind of, you know, dichotomy. And I mean, you know, I've got a lot planned. So <laughs> hopefully I'm just going to be filling the category with my own queer medieval romance. And that's going to be all it is after a while, because it'll just be me going along like, <laughs> yeah, I've got another one. Um, yeah. So it is, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of, I hope it expands a little bit because I think it is, there's so much room to have fun with it, especially in like an alt history point of view, things like Gwen and Art are not in love is very strongly like Knight's Tale vibes. I love A Knight's Tale. I think it's fantastic. I'm so sad there's not more movies like it because you want, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And it's silly and it's heartfelt and it's made with love. And that's the sort of thing I'd like to see a lot more of. And Arthurian legends and stuff have an awful lot of wriggle room to play around in. And, you know, they're not <laughs> super duper straight a lot of the time. No. There's, there's a lot of kind of, you could do a lot of queer imaginings yeah. with Arthurian romance. And there's a lot which I've come across uh, for what I'm doing for my upcoming projects, a lot of gender queer stuff as well, okay. which is so good. It's yes. really fun. And it is, I think, you know, there's loads of room to play with all this, all these ideas. Mm -hmm. and I, hope, I hope it kicks off. I hope people do. Yeah. For me, more than anything, because I want to read it. I want to read it too. So for the two of us, more yeah. people like medieval romance. That's that's all. More medieval queer romance. Yeah. Um, queer romance in general, really. Yeah. I, can, I can't get enough. So. All of it. I love it. I have um, become known as the romance author at our librarian and specifically as the queer romance, uh, not romance author, romance librarian, excuse me, um, and the queer romance librarian. And I kind of just like foist these books off <laughs> on people. I'm like, it's gay and it's kissing, so you need to read it. Thank you. Um, as an aside, have you come across medieval marginalia, specifically snails and beavers, before? Uh, snails, loads. Loads okay. of snails. And the frogs, I Frog. like. And the cats with really bad faces. Just, oh, they're so good. Yeah, the, the, the really weird. I can't even make it with my face, but I know pretty yeah. much what you're talking about. So. Yeah, I follow quite a few Twitter accounts which post the the best of weird medieval manuscripts which i just i love them it's this horrible urge every time there's a really good one to get it tattooed on me and i'm like don't don't do that <laughs> resist it'd be a great tattoo one of my favorite crossovers between regency and like marginalia is that tessa dare who's a really big regency author she's in love with medieval marginalia and she tweets about it a lot so yeah i really um, like uh, she's great. Yeah, she's great. I love her. I cannot wait for her next book, whenever that may be. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting patiently. That, that feels like a come, nudge, nudge. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, just <laughs> We're waiting impatiently for your next book. <laughs> There's my little segue. Um, can you tell us, thank you very much, what you're working on next? Um, so we've not officially asked the title or anything yet, so okay. that's all still big secret to come. Um, but the next book is focusing on Lily and Joe, who yeah. are Raph and Penn's sisters. Uh, so Joe is Raph's big sister, and Lily is is Raph's little sister. I think I got that right. Um, so basically, it's a sequel. It follows on from Hartswood, um, but with hopefully it can be read as a standalone if you so desire. Um, it comes like a, about a year and a half later. Um, and 
the very briefest description is that Joe finally finds herself in a position where she's going to be married off and Lily will not stand for this. <laughs> and in her typical Lily doesn't think would be diagnosed with ADHD in 2023 way, uh, steals Raph's armor and runs to save her. Ah, oh my God. I love that so much. That is amazing. It's yeah. It's so much fun. It's been so much fun to write. It is tonally completely different. Okay. From Hartswood. Um, I've got playlists for all my books. Um, and this is the best way of showing the difference is comparing like the Hartswood playlist, which when I got my Spotify wrapped at the end of last year was like yearning, sadness and feelings and escapism. And I was like, oh gosh, but this one is all upbeat. There's a lot of pop punk on it. The opening is Bonnie Tyler, I Need a Hero. Um, there's a lot of like, uh, bad reputation Adam Ant's on there it's completely tonally very very different um it's a lot more fun in a Knight's Tale way than the kind of high emotional stakes of Hartswood um which I really enjoyed and I wanted it to be very much like um fueled by Lily's complete madness <laughs> and then kind of tapping into just how awesome medieval women were and the kind of because you know we forget often especially in like today's period where we kind of be like oh they were just wives and mothers and it's like no they had rich fulfilling lives they were business owners and mm -hmm. i kind of introduced a little bit of that um got extremely in-depth in medieval brewing <laughs> Excellent. Had to, had to cut quite a bit out because I was like, I think this is fascinating, but nobody wants to read a paragraph on MASH. So I mean, Legends and Lattes just did fantastically yeah. well. And they spend like a whole page talking about a cinnamon roll. So. Uh, oh, Legends and Lattes, I loved. And because of that whole page describing a cinnamon roll, I then went to teach myself how to make cinnamon rolls. Um, and so from that, I'm now, I make some fantastic cinnamon rolls entirely because I read Legends and Lattes and was like, I ha I need, I need one. And just buying one from the shop will not do. I need to bake one. Yes. So yeah, if you write in like a whole paragraph about like mash and like a whole page about brewing, that's fine. We're, we're chill. <laughs> Everyone's awesome. getting into proper historic brewing methods. Excellent. I, I, I know some um, Ren Fair people, some D&D &D people who would definitely be into all that, so myself included. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I couldn't even start to try because I'd definitely mess it up. But I can go to like my local brewery and get a good beer and pretend that it's the same thing. Yeah, just wear a Yeah, like I spend, I love like real ale and craft beers and stuff, and I spend a lot of time at beer festivals and things like that. So this is very much kind of tapping into a sort of little home fixation of mine, which I'm like putting into a book now. Like you will have to look at it now. Sorry. And you can't tell us when it comes out yet. Next year. Next but year. That, that's that's, yeah. chill. that's fine. Um, okay. So it's going to be my favorite book of next year. Good to know. <laughs> and are you able to tell us at all what will come after that? You said medieval, possibly Regency Edwardian. Yes, I have something else medieval coming up which um i've kind of i've sort of spoken about but not really in any official sense but i think it's all right to say that it's about ash um okay. who i love yeah. uh, 
Um, I, I adore him, unfortunately, which means he's going to suffer. Yeah, okay. That'll be interesting to read. And then a after that, I have a couple of ideas which I've been floating around. There's one which very much was a case of sitting bolt upright at 1am going, I have to write this down, and ended up with like 10,000 words of notes. Uh, <laughs> that's the one which will either be Regency or Edwardian, um, which is kind of friends to lovers to enemies to friends to lovers. <laughs> okay. Of. Okay. And then another one, which we'll see. I, I kind of, I have, I have the full idea for it in my head. This is medieval, uh, really strongly leaning on grumpy sunshine. Um, really like the, 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 the metaphor of the kind of wild stallion versus the nice horse taming guy is <laughs> how I'm imagining it in my head. Um, okay. which because it's the newest idea, it's very much grabbed me. And I'm like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about these guys. So we'll see, hopefully, but I need to finish everything else first. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, that's the part that has to come first, right? You can't just yeah. jump train halfway through. Yeah. Um, do you do mood boards or anything like that? Uh, well, kind of. I very, very recently just got introduced to Pinterest. We're talking within the past couple of months. Um, to the dark side. Oh no. And this was mostly for things like references because I go a bit mad with commissions um, and I needed somewhere and Pinterest was the best to find reference images. Um, but other than that, my actual, my office is completely covered in uh, PATH is their ship name. It's just easier. PATH art. Um, I have a lot of, I'm, I'm extremely lucky because I kind of have a fandom background. A lot of my friends are incredibly talented artists. Mm. Um, and so I've received some amazing art for like birthdays and just as like, oh, we were talking about this AU you had, so I doodled it, that sort of thing. Um, so I have a full, <laughs> like a meter by two meters corkboard just covered in art of them doing various things. I've got uh, some pinups of them. I've got a couple of frogs. Someone knitted me for the release two frogs, and it's a frog of Raph and Pen wearing little jumpers. I've got their daggers, like the ones from the book. Oh, I okay. have versions of. I have Pen and Raph's dagger, which have to be together. Yes. And I also have every character made in Lego. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Actually, I um, think I saw that when I stalked your Twitter for this episode. So yeah, I have. <laughs> everybody everyone who's like a main character in one of the books gets a lego figure um and it started off with raff and pen and i was like oh this is great and then of course i had to get lily and joe and then i had to get and it just kept going and now i've got this little flock of lego people who i just take with me everywhere just in case i guess in case i need lego <laughs> so i don't really do mood boards as such but my life feels like a mood board at the moment. <laughs> I've done a few things like edits. Think this is a thing again because of the fandom thing. You have this urge of like oh, I want to make gift sets and I want to make ed edits and I want to do fan art, but I can't do any of those things because it's a book and it doesn't, especially before it even existed. Mm. So I do a lot of things like uh, image edits to music to like lyrics that I really like or to the quote at the front from Euripides. Okay. Uh, I'll take care of you. It's rotten work. Not to me, not if it's you, that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. What is the, if you had to pick one song for Heartswood, what song would it be? Ooh, okay. Well, I've got Spotify open, so I can tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. 
because I think, oh, I mean, they've both got their own songs. Mm. Okay. Um, like, I really like Alone Together for Pen, and I like Run Boy Run for Pen. Um, Great songs. I really like, I listen to Jenny of Oldstones a lot from the Game okay. of Thrones track. Um, I think my favourite is probably Two by Sleeping at Last. Okay. Um, which I hadn't heard of until I was asking for like requests for songs and the lyrics and the lines of um, I'd tear my heart clean apart if it helps yours beat, something like that. And it's just so rough. Yeah. I love um, but yeah, there's a, there's, I have a lot, which I love. I really love uh, Hayloft by Mother Mother. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Okay. Um, Hayloft is great. And it's one of those ones that I see people complaining a lot about because they're like, oh, you've put this on your playlist for your ship, but it doesn't fit because it's not quite right. And I'm like, the lyrics are about a couple making out in a hayloft. And then she tells the guy, I think it's a guy, I don't know. She tells the other one to run because her daddy's got a gun. And I'm like, oh, it's I just perfect in every way. Yeah. Um, so that one I particularly yeah. love. Yeah. And then uh, Fair by the amazing devil um i have to mention fair because it makes me cry and i think it fits for any any romance um there's it like there's a that's what she said joke in it and it just just makes me weep like a little baby um it's very very good but i have to mention the amazing devil or else everyone who follows me on tumblr will be mad <laughs> they're like you didn't say this song yeah it's but it is very good and it's by the guy in the band is Yaskier in The Witcher, so. I love him so much. <laughs> I know, it's always amazing. But yeah, you should listen to The Amazing Devil in that case because okay. they are incredible. So good. Um, the Horror in the Wild is my favourite album. Ooh, okay. <laughs> very yeah. epic. Uh, very, very good for writing medieval romance, I find. That's definitely going to be my soundtrack for like editing this episode then. I love that. Yeah, you should. Um, but it's very distracting. Oh, because you feel like you're in a movie or a musical well, or something. Well, um, I'll play like, it when I'm in the garden then. How's that? Yeah, it's like I can't. I have to go out and stand in the rain and listen to this music, kind of thing. Main character energy for sure. Yes, big main character energy. Um, so to kind of wrap things up, what are you reading right now? Well, right now I am not reading anything because I am saving myself. We are going away oh. in about a week. Okay. Um, and I don't want to necessarily start anything and then be like, oh no, what do I take with me? So I kind of, I'm dabbling in Harrow the Ninth, oh. um, but I don't necessarily want to start that before we go away because then I'll lose my place <laughs> and I'll have to start again. Um, so what is next on my list is I am extremely excited. I've got my hands on an advanced copy of A Power Unbound by Freya Mask, which is the last Ooh. book in the last binding trilogy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the, the noise I made when I opened, because I wasn't sure what the parcel was. I was like, what's this? What is, I haven't ordered anything. I opened it and I was like, oh, and so that's my uh, next one, which I'm taking on holiday with me because I feel like this has to be a special occasion book. Yes. And I am very, very excited. That one's going to be so exciting. The first two in the series were just, they were fun and they were breathtaking at the same time. And I think that that uh -huh. is going to be just as like, explosive i guess is yeah, it. I, it's gonna be amazing like the writing her writing is so beautiful that i'm like and the characters are so good i'm like ah mm -hmm. i can't wait but yes yeah, the, yeah, so the what 
the audiobooks they're good yeah i should i should give them a go i mean technically that's what i'm reading at the moment is guards guards by terry pratchett because i'm listening to the audiobook um when i go on walks so technically that that's a good audiobook walking like a walking audiobook Hmm. anything terry pratchett fits well with that um and for anybody who is looking, so they have to wait till November, sadly, here in the United States to get your book. I had nefarious and devious ways of how I got that book. <laughs> it was legal ways of how I got it, but it was nefarious, I will say. Um, so sadly, here in the United States, they have to wait till November 7th, I believe yeah. is the correct date. Yep. What would you recommend everybody read in the meantime? Um, I would say, ooh, I mean... Gwen and Art are not in love. I would definitely recommend, uh, which I think, which has just come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Solomon's Crown, I really enjoyed. I would also suggest uh, if you're still looking for something vaguely historical, We Could Be So Good by Cat Sebastian has just oh. come out. Okay. And that is in 50s New York. Um, and it's extremely good. Yeah. It's very, very good. It really kind of, oof, oof, it's so good. It's great. Um, anything what else i've read recently uh no i think yeah i'd say those ones are what i've been really loving i'm also kind of dabbling in the red scholars wake which i've enjoyed a lot okay uh, but i started it and then i got distracted and now i have to start it again because my brain just can't re- retain information but it's really gorgeous Okay. Yeah, that's been me with Harrow. I've started Harrow the Ninth like four times now in like audio and physical, but I keep getting distracted and it's one of those you have to focus on. So I'm like, I'm just going to wait until I have three days to sit down and finish this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, A Strange and Stubborn Endurance by Foz Meadows. Love that book. I love it. It's like such such good energies. I'm like, it's like the sad, the sad guy and the knife guy. Oh, I love it. If I might recommend one to you in the meantime, A Taste yeah. of Iron and Gold. Already um, read it. Okay, cool. Loved it. You don't have things then. Never <laughs> mind. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I found Hartswood in a bookshop right next to it, and I was like, oh, ooh. <laughs> oh, that's great. They're shelf buddies. Yeah, I felt so, like, honored. I was like, I don't, I can't, no, it's not allowed. <laughs> well, if I must, okay. <laughs> All right, then one final thing. Will you give us one last pitch for One Night in Hartswood? So you should read One Night in Hartswood because it's about escapism. It's about healing from the trauma of your terrible dad. It's about making out in the woods and it's about blowjobs in barns. (laughs) That the best end it right there. Mic drop. Okay. (laughs) Well, Emma, thank you so much for joining us on Raging Romantics. Everybody go pre-order One Night in Hartswood now if you are not in the UK. If you are in the UK, go to Waterstones, go to the shop, go to wherever they might have it and get it because it is a fantastic book. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. And there's something we always say here on Raging Romantics as we're closing. We all say, rage on. (laughs) Rage on. Rage on.